My name is Brandon Bunny, and you're listening to the Root and Stem podcast, a podcast exploring issues and stories in STEAM education. On this episode of the Root and Stem podcast, we explore the role of video games in STEM learning and archiving knowledge. I am Brandon Bunny. I am the lead interactive game designer at Pingua. I studied at George Brown College and Centennial uh, in graphic design and 3D game art. I love making game art and I uh, love making games. I'm also like an avid uh, Magic the Gathering player. Oh, I, I'm a father of three. <laughs> I guess that kind of sums me up. When I was a kid, my mother would take me to bowling with her and she would get to bowl all night and I would have to find a way to have fun. But the bowling alley had an arcade and I would do anything for a quarter and just play games. And I was like hooked on games. That's where like my love of games came from. And then like, but growing up, I would just like write game ideas and like little booklets that I would take from school. Um, so that's like where games, my game love of games came from. And then like 3D art, uh, way back in the day when I would watch TV, there was this like thing on television where it was like these five minute clips of like 3D animated shows. It was on YTV. I forget what they're called, but like seeing them, seeing the like the wild worlds they would create. I mean, they're so basic now. It would have been so it's so easy to make now. But like back then, like they, it was like cutting edge technology, you know, 25 years ago. So uh I just knew I wanted to do that. And then kind of, I, I bought books. I, you know, put software on school computers so I could try and use it. And so that's where, like, it started, it started very early, but I didn't actually go for it until very late in my life. Uh, once I had my first kid, I was like, I have to follow my passion. And uh, that led me here, basically. <laughs> For game design and 3D, I mean, the best place to start is always pen and paper, pencil and paper, dice, cards, clay. It's faster than trying to work in digital, but it's also more fun to go digital right off the bat. But you get, you can fail faster when you use pen and paper. But aside from that, uh, once I'm on the computer, I'm basically using Unity and Photoshop and Blender. Um, I don't have to use Photoshop. I could get away with, uh, there's lots of free ones, but I have Photoshop and it's what I've learned on. So it's just easier for me to use, but, uh, blender I switched to after like I used to use 3d max and that's like a paid subscription. It's like top of the line, whatever It's just bloated and I don't even use half of it and blenders free <laughs> and it works just as well. Especially for game development. Maybe not for movie, but actually for movie now, it's kicking butt too. Those are basically my tools. To simplify the process of developing a 3D game, I guess the first part is like the idea of the game or the main mechanic of the game is the first thing you have to decide like because then everything else kind of builds out from that it decides what your levels look like it decides what your uh, characters look like or how you react in the world so like that's step one what's the player doing the fun thing that they're going to be doing the, for most of the game 
And then, yeah, so once that's on paper, we then then kind of decide everything that supports that, basically, from the UI layout to concept art or, like, uh, reference art and basic game loop and level design level design to a degree like it's a lot of once that's decided there's a lot of like gathering of resources and references and then once that's all done i make a huge list (laughs) of everything that needs to be made so like each mechanic each screen each rock each tree each level is just a big list and then decide how like guess how much time that takes and then put that on a on a timeline (laughs) and hopefully it doesn't go past the due date hopefully it's like way before the due date so i don't have to cut anything but eventually you have to cut stuff because it's never there's never enough time there's never enough time to make a game and then yeah and then uh right now my team i basically hand out who does what i put my head down we get to work and week to week we push it all together uh see how it's all interacting um move forward to like a basic a playable build of the game it doesn't have to be pretty but it has to be playable get some feedback and then start adding in start adding in the art start taking the feedback into account start finishing the game uh then it'll get to like a state like alpha or beta i really don't know when is what um but like basically before I we like say it's okay for the public, we then have another play test of like with the art, with all the other mechanics and everything all together. And then we take that feedback, fix what we can, and then put it out into the world. Well, there's Starscribe. I think Starscribe's probably it's like the first one I did all on my own and I we did with another organization and it's out there and it works and people liked it and we've gotten to make another copy of it so i guess of games that exist and have been touched by other people (laughs) i guess starscribe is the one uh where you like point at stars and you make constellations and you learn about uh the moon a little bit um it's like it's a little bit of game but it's mostly like informational museum but it's super cool because it has like indigenous knowledge and we met Wilford Buck to make it. So yeah, Starscribe, I think, would be my proudest game. So Starscribe was created in conjunction with the uh, Canadian Space Agency. They wanted to promote an interest in space in the youths. And we also have a mandate of our own to kind of promote indigenous knowledge. And we were able to connect that with uh, a guy named Wilfred Buck, um, who's known as a star guy, who knows a lot about Cree star knowledge. So what we did was we made like a moon environment where you can go to these different points and um, it'll basically give you an objective to look up in the sky and kind of trace with your mouse or like your your fingers pointing up in the sky, you'll trace uh, the constellation itself. And once you finish that constellation, it kind of unlocks the the computer that you're at that gave you the the objective. And then um, it will kind of it will give you the information that Wolford Buck gave me. So it'll give you like the Cree name for the constellation and like where it sits in the sky in relation to 
the Greek star, Roman, Greek, Roman. I'm not sure whose stars are actually up there. Anyways, the, the usual Western culture stars, like where they sit in reference to those and like the, the utility of that constellation. Sometimes that they mark hunting cycles or sometimes they tell a story of like morality or it's just a different way of utilizing the stars that they had. Once the user is able to like go to each station and collect each star, then they get a chance to like plant a flag on the moon um, that is of their own design. Um, and that's just kind of like the reward for doing the thing. And you can, can put the flag anywhere. You can put it on the spaceship or on the ground on a hilltop. I think that's the why and the how of the game. Starscribe can help with preserving indigenous language by giving access to a younger audience to that knowledge. Um, I think it's probably hard. Some of them don't have elders like myself. I never had an elder to reach out to, to get this kind of information. That's why it was so great to meet Wilfred Buck and like hear his, his stories and not his, hear his knowledge. Um, and so like digitizing it kind of, uh, I want to say democratizes it, but it's still, it's, still does require the internet to actually access it but it does um it gives more people access to that knowledge um so i think in that way it at least spreads it a little further than only having to go to an elder um you can be interested by this game and then maybe that pushes you to reach out to an elder to find more information Six Nations Public School reached out to us because they had experienced Starscribe and they wanted a version of their own to kind of preserve their knowledge. So we already had Starscribe and it already had a lot of programming already built into it. So I basically just stripped out all the programming and took away all the moon and space stuff that the Canadian Space Agency kind of wanted. And then I just put in some nature assets that i already had made so that like the the environment part was basically already done um i referenced kind of a local uh river that they live near that would be recognizable i think that also gives them a sense that it's theirs because it's in a space that kind of exists it was it's a little cartoony but it's close and then from there it was basically just taking their information and applying it back to what was already created. So it was a very, very quick turnaround for a project. I think it took maybe two weeks to like edit everything and get it all in place. When the kids are involved, at least the ones that like are interested, you know, it no longer, it's no longer for me or this thing that I have to do with the company. It's theirs, right? Like they get to make it their own and they basically get to practice, practice their, their knowledge. So then it's, it's deeper in them because now they see that the knowledge has a usefulness. Um, so I do, I do think this was very important for them to participate in. And it, it now exists outside of them and they can, if they're proud of it, they can show other people. Right. And then, then, then they're practicing that knowledge again. So I think it's a good like feedback loop of, of using that knowledge and kind of preserves it. So we're creating uh, a Nuktatuk version of Wordle. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what Wordle is, it's basically like a secret password that you have to guess. But you only get six guesses. And every time you get 
a letter correct in the word, it's turned yellow. And if the letter is in the correct place in the word, it's turned green, which means like that's where that exists. And then so then you go down a level and you get to you get to take another shot at the secret word. It's only five letters long. You get six, you get six tries to do it right. When it was created, it blew up on the internet. Everyone loved this game and with good reason, because everyone basically gets one word a day and it's like the everyone's trying to get the word in one guess kind of thing. Um, so I copied that idea, but I used Inuktitut, which is a challenge because they have a hundred and something characters, where in English there's only 26. So that means the six tries kind of it doesn't feel fair when you have a hundred and something characters to choose from. So what I did is in the background, when the word is chosen, I tell the program to remove almost like 80 of the characters from you. I mean, you can still guess them if you want, but they're marked as not necessary so that at least it brings it down to 26. And then it, it's the same thing. Uh, you guess, you guess, right. It goes yellow. You guess it in the right place. It goes green, and then you kind of you kind of guess the password. And why I think that's useful is it lets again it lets people practice their language and their knowledge uh, in a safe place where it's welcome to make mistakes. And it plays a little bit of role of the teacher because it slowly corrects you. It doesn't just hand you the answer. It's like you're close, but maybe put it in somewhere else. And I think, anyways, for um, those who speak Inuktitut to see their language used in other games or in other media. I mean, someone's thinking about them. They're represented there. Like, I think it's, it helps them feel like a part of the world. If you're interested in game design, you don't have to go straight at game design. I've taken the longest route to get here. I started as a bartender, <laughs> you know, like that's where my life started. So it's, it's okay to have other experiences. I think other experiences are very vital as a game designer, um, to have other people's perspective, to have, to bring something different to the table other than just like, I played a million hours of COD and I'm super good at COD. Let's make a COD game. <laughs> um, I think another piece of good advice is make a lot of games on paper. Because it's, again, comes back to like failing faster. You can tell right away when a game's not fun if you try and play it like on paper and then with cards or dice and you're not having a good time, you can just put it away because you didn't spend a month trying to program something or, you know, a bunch of time trying to like build some weird model that just isn't going to come to existence. Um, make games on paper. <laughs> For more knowledge and stories from STEAM professionals, check out the Root and STEM magazine at pingwa.com or more episodes of the Root and STEM podcast available to download on your streaming platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google.